Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled Response to the Undisciplined, Part 1. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning international audience. We also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. In our previous episode, we examined 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. Verses 16 through 17 were a benediction. We noted that Paul says two very important things of which we should take to heart. He says to stand firm and to hold on. Both today in American English are considered to be the same thing despite the fact they are different. One can see how the two are similar in today's American English, but one phrase is not exactly the same as the other. If I stand firm in opinion, I am unwavering in that opinion. Nothing shakes my firm stand in my opinions. I am also told by this scripture passage to hold on. In this particular case, it means to hold on to what I solidly believe, as well as my possession of a firm command of the understanding of the truth. In this week's episode, we start our examination of chapter 3. We first, however, should note, the first five verses are a request for prayer. However, the full thought for what comes next starts in verse 5. So we will read starting in verse 5. Now may the Lord direct your hearts toward the love of God and the endurance of Christ. But we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from any brother who lives an undisciplined life and not according to the tradition they received from us. For you know yourselves how you must imitate us, because we did not behave without discipline among you, and we did not eat anyone's food without paying. Instead, in toil and drudgery, we worked night and day in order not to burden any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give ourselves as an example for you to imitate. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 5-9 through 9. These verses are a preface for what comes in next week's study. It is vitally important we fully understand this preface first before delving into further study of the fuller passage in this biblical text. First, verse 5 says more than it may first appear. It seems to be the end of Paul's request for prayer in the opening five verses, here in chapter 3. However, it is far more than that which we today 
can miss easily. This is why commentary helps us here. It reads, So direct your hearts that you may love God, and into the patient waiting for Christ. Margin, patience of Christ. The marginal reading is in accordance with the Greek and seems best to express the Apostle's meaning. The prayer of the Apostle was that they might have the love of God in their hearts and, quote, the patience of Christ, end quote, that is, the same patience which Christ evinced in his trials. They were then suffering affliction and persecution. They needed patience that they might endure their trials in a proper manner. It was natural for the apostle to refer them to the Savior, the great example of patience, and to pray that they might have the same which he had. That it does not mean that they were to wait patiently for the appearing of Christ, as our translation seems to imply, is quite clear because the apostle had just been showing them that he would not appear until after a long series of events had occurred. From Barnes New Testament Notes To us as modern people, with a fully and different means to interpret what we see, read, or whatever else we interpret, this passage means something that is not so obvious to the modern mind. Meaning, on first read, this verse seems to be a blessing at the end of a short prayer. While it is that, it is also so much more. I hope commentary has helped you see that with great certainty. If you are still in a quandary, hopefully this next explanation will provide greater clarity. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, by which may be meant the love with which God is loved. This is the sum and substance of the first and chief commandment in the law, and is what every man in a state of nature is destitute of. It is implanted in the heart in regeneration and is a fruit of the Spirit of God, and where it is, it oftentimes grows cold and needs to be stirred up and re-inflamed by the Spirit of God, which may be intended by a directing of the heart into it, that is, to a lively exercise of it, or else the love with which God loves his people is designed, which is free, sovereign, unchangeable, and from everlasting to everlasting. And to have the heart directed into this is to be led into it directly or by a straight line, as the word signifies, and not in a roundabout way, by works and duties, as the causes or conditions of it, and to be led further into it, so as to comprehend the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of this love, 
and to be rooted and grounded in it, and firmly persuaded of interest in it, and that nothing shall separate from it, and so as to have the heart sensibly affected with it. And this is not to be done by a believer himself, nor by the ministers of the gospel. The apostle could not do it, and therefore he prays, quote, the Lord, end quote, to do it, by whom is meant the Spirit of God, since he is distinguished from God the Father, into whose love the heart is to be directed, and from Christ, a patient waiting for whom it is also desired the heart may be directed into. And since it is his work to shed abroad the love of God in the heart and to lead unto it and make application of it, and which is a proof of his deity, for none has thy direction, management, and government of the heart but God. From the New John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible. That commentary passage says a lot. First, contrary to popular belief, in many of the churches I have attended, no one can effect and affect my life in Christ except God. Second, the human heart is destined to coldness, even in times when it should be red-hot with our love and faith in God. To see this better, let's unpack this commentary passage. It opened with this comment, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, by which may be meant the love with which God is loved. This is the sum and substance of the first and chief commandment in the law, and is what every man in a state of nature is destitute of. This speaks directly to what manner of heart condition men and women have in an unsaved state. Even after we are saved in Christ, our heart can still grow cold. Notice the opening comment. The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. It does not say anyone will or can direct any person's heart into God's love except God alone. The only way we can think of ourselves is if God uses us in such a process, is like ushers in a theater directing people to their seat. The usher is only an agent of help and nothing else. This should also be a full comment on how strong the human heart of emotion, feeling, and other such things is. We are not talking about the heart that continuously pumps blood throughout the human body. We are speaking about the unseeable heart associated with the unseeable things such as thought, emotions, feelings, and so on. In fact, we feel things very oftentimes before we think them and reason them. When we feel something, it is oftentimes 
that we then work to reason such feelings. When the heart and the mind finally agree, action is then forthright, put forward as action. So even the saved in Christ, who possess the love with which God is loved, can diminish and seemingly disappear with regard to being either hot or cold in the faith. Today, in America, we call that falling away. Now, notice what commentary says further. This is the sum and substance of the first and chief commandment in the law, and is what every man in a state of nature is destitute of. At the very least, this implies that even in Christ we are destitute of his love unless by his Holy Spirit it is implanted in us. This implantation of God's love is what occurs in becoming saved in Christ, through Christ. We know this is true because commentary told us, quote, It is implanted in the heart in regeneration and is a fruit of the Spirit of God. End quote. Commentary told us further, what happens to this love even after being implanted in us when we are regenerated, what we call today falling away. Commentary tells us further, quote, where it is, it oftentimes grows cold and needs to be stirred up and re-inflamed. By who? Men and women? No, by the Spirit of God, which may be intended by a directing of the heart into it, that is, to a lively exercise of it, or else the love with which God loves his people is designed, which is free, sovereign, unchangeable, and from everlasting to everlasting, and to have the heart directed into this is to be led into it directly or by a straight line, as the word signifies, and not in a round about way by works and duties. End quote. In other words, there is a direct path to the love of God. There is no roundabout way through works, duties, rites, or rituals, either then or today. This is not to say that sensible rules should not exist, but as new issues occur to deconstruct any church body and its social presence, it can serve more as a form of distraction to ruin us with all well intention. Read the parable of the mustard seed for more on this issue. We should finally note in commentary there seems to be a rule about how this works. Commentary read, This is not to be done by a believer himself, or today herself, nor by the ministers of the gospel. 
the apostle could not do it, and therefore he prays, quote, the Lord, end quote, to do it, by whom is meant the Holy Spirit, since he is distinguished from God the Father, into whose love the heart is to be directed, and from Christ, a patient waiting for whom it is also desired the heart may be directed into. Notice what we see first in this commentary passage. Two forms of do not. One, it is not to be done by a believer. This means any believer contrary to what you are being taught or may have been taught in your local church body or taught elsewhere, such as on the internet. Two, it is also not to be done by the ministers of the gospel, meaning our pastors found in the hierarchy of our church we attend, no matter where we attend church. Today, this means your pastor or minister in your church or religious organization is not to attempt to show you, teach you, and or guide you into the love of God unless you are unsaved and are looking to be saved in Christ. Neither also are they to tell anyone how to love God since each is destined to come into this on their own by God's direction in their life accordingly by the Holy Spirit. That is, if this commentary passage is correct. Personally, I believe it is. Since I have seen this type of work by believers and leaders fail so frequently to make for naught the worth and effort that it demands to see it work as it should, simply fail, leaving all concerned in a disgruntled state of heart and mind feeling a sense of wasted time. This is why this belongs to God to do. So hopefully, this is much more clear for you now. I say that because verse 6 says this, But we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from any brother who lives an undisciplined life and not according to the tradition they received from us. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. First, notice, this is not a comment, or lesser still, a suggestion. No, it is a command. Notice how this verse opened. Again, quoting, but we command you, comma, end quote. That is quite clear. This statement can be nothing else than a command with no option to work it any other way. After the comma, Paul addresses both brothers and sisters, in Christ to be clear, and Paul does this when he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, quote-unquote. So Paul is being quite firm and clear here when he then says, keep 
away from any brother who lives an undisciplined life and not according to the tradition they receive from us. While this was said in that time, and to those people, the Thessalonians, it is not any less true for us today. We cannot make someone love God and or express his love to others without God's sole attention to this love in that person. The Holy Spirit implants his love in us. Remember, commentary said, quote, where it is, it oftentimes grows cold and needs to be stirred up and re-inflamed by the Spirit of God, which may be intended by a directing of the heart into it, that is, to a lively exercise of it, or else the love with which God loves his people is designed, which is free, sovereign, unchangeable, and from everlasting to everlasting, and to have the heart directed into this, is to be led into it directly, or by a straight line, as the word signifies, and not in a roundabout way, by works and duties. End quote. So, as much as you would like to implant and or impart God's love to those you know and even love, it is not your job. The church needs to stop attempting this action and move on into other more worthwhile pursuits that bear more consistent benefit. We are as ushers who direct others to the place of salvation. Only then can the person in question we wish to be saved can make their own decision to, or not to, follow Jesus by first receiving him into their life. We can only point the way to God. The person of whom we believe needs to accept Jesus must decide for themselves to accept or not accept Jesus into their life as Lord and Savior. We cannot and should not force them to choose for the benefits we may reap from their conversion, how real or not it truly was for them. The preface for next week's look at this passage reads, For you know yourselves how you must imitate us, because we did not behave without discipline among you, and we did not eat anyone's food without paying. Instead, in toil and drudgery, we worked night and day in order not to burden any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give ourselves as an example for you to imitate. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7-9 through nine. Of specific note this week, look at verse 8. For clarity, it reads, Quote, we did not eat anyone's food without paying. Instead, in toil and drudgery, we worked night and day in order not to burden any of you. End quote. At first read, with today's American mind and thinking, 
we could view that as an insult to the Thessalonians. Even bragging by Paul, right after insulting them. If we see this passage this way, it shows how far off the truth we are in our present state. So let us read commentary for better clarity on this subject. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, or freely, at free cost, without paying for it. He signifies that what they ate they bought with their own money and lived on no man without giving him a valuable consideration for what they had, though if they had not paid in money for their food, they would not have ate it for not, since they labored among them in preaching the gospel to them, and such laborers are worthy of their maintenance, though the former sense is the apostles here, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, not only laboriously preaching the gospel to them as often as they could have opportunity, but working very hard and incessantly with their hands at the occupations and trades they had been brought up to, and that of the Apostle Paul's was a tent-maker, at which he sometimes wrought, thereby ministering to his own and the necessities of others, nor was this inconsistent with his learning and liberal education. It was usual with the Jewish doctors to learn a trade, or follow some business and calling of life. The apostles' end in this was, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, or burdensome to them, they being for the most part poor, and the apostles being able partly by their own hand labor and partly by what they received from Philippi, to support themselves, choose to that that they might not lie heavy upon them, and any ways hinder the spread of the gospel among them, at its first coming to them. And so, Maimonides says, the ancient Jewish doctors behaved, and with a like view, wherefore, he says, Quote, if a man is a wise man and an honorable man and poor, let him employ himself in some handicraft business, even though a mean one, and not distress men or be burdensome to them. It is better to strip the skins of beasts that have been torn than to say to the people, I am a considerable wise or learned man. I am a priest. Take care of me, and maintain me. And so the wise men have ordered, and some of the greatest doctors have been hewers of wood, and carriers of timber, and drawers of water for the gardens, and have wrought in iron and coals, and have not required anything of the congregation, nor would they take anything of them when they would have given to them. From the New John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible.
In closing this week, notice this short passage from commentary. It reads, Wrought with labor and travail night and day, not only laboriously preaching the gospel to them as often as they could have opportunity, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, not only laboriously preaching the gospel to them as often as they could have opportunity, but working very hard and incessantly with their hands at the occupations and trades they had been brought up to. First, notice, it is not just about making tents, as was Paul's particular trade. Commentary said, working very hard and incessantly with their hands at the occupations and trades they had been brought up to. So the other with Paul were not necessarily tent makers. They, like us today, performed many other forms of work-related trades, so much so that, commentary said, they were wrought with labor and travail night and day, not only laboriously preaching the gospel to them as often as they could have opportunity, but wrought with labor and travail night and day. So not only was their work laborious, but also their preaching was laborious. Notice, too, that they did not dismiss work to preach. Or, as we say today, maybe, witness instead of preaching. They worked, period. Then they witnessed, quote, as often as they could have opportunity, end quote. Think about that if you are subverting work in the name of serving God and witnessing and wondering why it is not working for you as well as you may think it should. Next week, we look at an oft-misquoted text in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. It reads, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, neither should he eat. Today, this verse is expounded upon as soon as anyone says they are out of work. Does it mean that person is not willing to work? Does this verse mean that anyone who is not working should not eat? To find out, play or download next week's episode titled, Response to the Undisciplined, Part 2. Download this episode from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation free version. Please check our show notes for more information. Our website has more information links to our podcast platforms, and more. Find a link to our website and more in our show notes. We greatly appreciate our audience. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners, followers, and new listeners. Thank you all so much.
We are very pleased to serve a diverse international audience. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched, currently an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome, and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners, followers, and new listeners. Thank you all so much. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to Be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. For more information, check out our mobile, tablet, and desktop compliant website. It is a subdomain hosted at site123.com. Our site link is unchurched.site123.me. This website is where you will find additional information about us and the podcast platforms we are in syndication with. Find direct links to all our platforms under the podcast menu item. We are found on many podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, or Spotify, to name a few. We refresh our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh, East Coast Time, USA. Our RSS feed is syndicated on many popular podcast RSS feed platforms. Find us on a preferred platform to follow us as we continue to grow. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.